Hey, I'm Connor Ryan. And I'm Max Gowan. And this is I Know What I Saw. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a- yep. This is a podcast. Uh, if you've ever heard a podcast, it's usually two people talking about really dumb shit. And this is about the same. Um, so welcome to it. Buckle up for a nightmare of an hour, probably, yeah. uh, after we edit this down. Yeah. We hope you <laughs> are enjoying your commute to, uh, you know the amazon warehouse or whatever it may be uh we hope this brings you a little bit of uh don't burn your mac and cheese or whatever the fuck you're cooking while listening to this and we're about to talk we're about to talk about uh the flatwoods monster so get ready So uh, a few weeks ago, I went to West Virginia, and that's basically been a state I've wanted to go to for probably a couple of years now. I just got weirdly obsessed with it because I've always been into cryptids and things like that. And it seems like there's just such a weird abundance of that stuff in that state. Um, and it really didn't disappoint, and it was way weirder than I expected it to be. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> um, so the case that we're talking about today is one of the, I guess, more well-known ones from West Virginia next to Mothman. Um, But it's also not super well-known. And I just feel like it's a really interesting case because uh, it crosses over a lot of different like weird paranormal lines. Um, And I'll kind of intersperse a little bit about some of the other things we saw in West Virginia there too, um, just because there's episodes and episodes worth of stuff uh, in that one state alone. uh, And I highly recommend going (laughs) into the paranormal. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll start off by saying, how much do you know about the Flatwoods monster? (laughs) Other than when you and I were brainstorming for doing this podcast and you kind of gave me a brief synopsis of it um i would say nothing other than the name flatwoods monster i don't know anything about it okay cool that's great (laughs) uh it's really good um this case is cool because uh obviously now it's now known as the flatwoods monster um but it used to be called the braxton county monster or like there's been like 10 other names for uh what happened here but it's also like very heavily a ufo case even though you'd think it would be more like a bigfoot or mothman type thing it's mostly a really interesting ufo kind of crash landing case um that Oh, nice. Yeah, that this one really specific cryptid came out of. Um, and it's really... And I'm sorry, did you say Braxton County Monster is the second name? Yeah, of it? yeah, or Braxy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Both of those sound like a local like bar fight champion. Oh, yeah. Like, both, both... <laughs> it's, That's, I had not heard that. Yeah, yeah uh, I'll, I'll kind of talk a little bit more about it at the end, but, you know, Flatwoods is like this small little town in West Virginia, and someone actually turned the like tourist center for the town into the Flatwoods Monster Museum like so it's like this little kind of like museum essentially with all this memorabilia about the monster and one of the t-shirts is like the classic like Nirvana yellow smiley face shirt but it has like an outline of the monster and it says Braxy underneath and like the Nirvana <laughs> <laughs> so they got a lot of really good merch there and I recommend hitting it up <laughs> but, I think that's what Kurt would have wanted yeah so that's, I'm, I'm glad to hear that no me too (laughs) so all right so one of the 
most interesting parts about the story um, is that like with a lot of cryptids, like obviously Bigfoot, the Chupacabra, that kind of thing, there's a bunch of different sightings of them. Um, but this was basically one night. Uh, and there have been other like quote unquote sightings or like sightings around it, but they're not as... Um, how do I want to say it? They're not as credible as kind of the original sighting, um, especially because okay. they came out a few years after and like that kind of thing. So mostly people think they're like piggybacking off of what this original sighting was. Um, so I'm going to set the scene for you. It's September 12th, 1952. Um, there's, uh, let's see. The Summer Olympics just happened in Helsinki. John Cage just premiered four minutes, 33 seconds in Woodstock, New York. Holy the cow. <laughs> the United Nations is about to cede Eritrea to Ethiopia. And nobody in Braxton County probably gives a fuck about any of that. Um, because they're, <laughs> it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's a mining town for sure. And, uh, you know, it's a just a really small kind of town that's centered around, like I said, mining and forestry, essentially. Um, and it's uh, in a really beautiful spot in West Virginia, actually. Um, and a, a lovely, like, little river runs through it. But it's it's really out there. Um, and basically, this is kind of like a real small-town story. It feels almost like an X-Files episode, where it's the small town in the middle of nowhere, and it's just a really, really weird fucking 24 hours <laughs> that goes down in this little town. Yeah, that makes me think of, like, the Jersey Devil episode mm. a little bit. Um, yeah. Anyway, that Definitely. Side, sidebar. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, like I said, it's September 12th, uh, 1952, um, and... Apparently, uh, a few different people, especially this one guy, Frank Fischino, um, say that no less than 25 different UFOs had flown over or crashed in 10 different eastern states in that day. And this is kind of the most well-known of those. Uh, and this guy, Frank, is like fucking obsessed with this case like he wrote like the literal book on it and he like revised it like 20 years later and then he's basically like this is his life is like this fucking case <laughs> um so that's awesome yeah so if you uh if you want to read more about it after listening to this episode frank Fischino jr is the guy um to kind of look into um and it's like i i've skimmed it i'm gonna be honest I, I read like good chunks of it but after about the halfway point it gets really just kind of conspiracy theory -y and like general ufo which is awesome but for this case the first half is kind of what you want um okay okay yeah yeah um and just before I go into it, I'll say that that book, the Braxton County Monster Updated and Revised Edition, the cover-up of the Flatwoods Monster Revealed by Frank Faschino Jr., <laughs> and Monsters of West Virginia by Rosemary Ellen Grilly, and then the book West Virginia UFOs, Close Encounters in the Mountain State by Bob Teets were all the books that I used uh, when I was kind of writing this script. Um, so okay, you've done, you've done <laughs> some serious homework. You're like, when I have to lead an episode, I, I have like... I have a lot of, uh, I'm standing on the shoulders of a giant here. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, you know, when I'm in West Virginia, of course, I'm buying all these weird fucking books. <laughs> um, like, when else am I going to get that chance? But, uh, yeah. Um, so, I kind of cobbled, cobbled it together from all those. Because there are a few different variations to the story. Because there are a lot of different players involved in it. Um, so, anyway to the story itself. So that day, September 12th, 1952, there's 10 boys ranging in age from 10 to 14 who are playing in a schoolyard in this town. Apparently they were just 
playing a ge- like an afternoon game of baseball. And so they looked up and this giant fireball shoots overhead with a massive flames trailing behind it. And then this object then seems to crash land just on the other side of a small mountain, um, which is near a farm owned by a man named Bailey Fisher. Um, and one of the kids who was there that day, who's one of the main players, Freddie Mays, has recalled in later interviews that as this object was like heading towards the hill, it appeared to actually slow down as it approached where it seemed to crash. So unlike a plane, which would just keep gaining speed, it's like it had the ability to kind of like soften the impact by slowing itself down with some kind of other um, steering control. And that's what a few of the other witnesses also reported. Um, and there was also no sound with it. There wasn't like the sound of a massive jet engine failing or anything like that. And the other weird thing is basically everyone who saw it, because there are a few other people besides these boys, described it as oblong or oval in shape and very smooth. Um, so just like a very smooth object with this massive flame trailing behind it. So. Um, so that's interesting really quickly just because I feel like that definitely is in line with a lot of UFO reports, obviously, that you hear about like mm-hmm. the craft or whatever. And also the fact that it was silent is like yeah. pretty universal across UFO stories. So that's very interesting to me. Yeah. No, exactly. It's super interesting. And um, I think actually, uh, if you're able to find that weird uh, West Virginia UFOs book that I was talking about, I think there's copies online. Um, There are a lot of actually like similar reports from different decades of like a very similar type of sighting too, um, with this kind of like oblong um, craft, essentially quiet, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so obviously these boys are all like, what the fuck was that? Um, (laughs) And so, so they all just start running kind of towards uh, towards this mountain to kind of see if they can get up there somehow and see what's going on. And um, just like to describe Flatwoods again a little bit, it's basically in like a little bit of a small valley with a river running through it. And then there are like just lots of mountains on either side, not huge, huge mountains, but it's like hilly. And then like it gets more and more mountainous kind of the farther out you go. So that's kind of the, the scene. So they do have a, quite a bit of ways to go to actually get to where this craft seemed to have crashed or landed. Um, so as they're going up to it, they stop by the home of two of the boys, Eddie and Freddie May. Um, and it was like a scene from a movie where like these like 10 movies just like crash through the door, screaming things like a flying saucer just landed on the farm and all that kind of shit. And, uh, <laughs> Eddie and Freddie's mother, who's 35, Kathleen was just at the house. She had just like come home from a shift and she didn't want, uh, like the group of boys to go investigate this like fucking plane crash probably by themselves. So they were like so bent on going that she agreed to go with them to check it out. Um, so once I mean, again, you, you need like, supervision yeah. on these kinds of quests, you know, like I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, w- I would want a chaperone personally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think the boys probably did too. Um, and uh, it's just funny that she wasn't like, no, we're staying home. She's like, all right, let's go check this thing out. And then also for some reason, there's an 18 year old boy, uh, Eugene Lemon, who was just around. I can't really remember how he got involved. He might've already been at the house. Um, and he was, uh, just like enlisted in the national guard um like kind of kind of that vibe and he also went with them so by the time they're actually heading towards the crash it was around 
7.40 p.m. And um, five of the original boys who saw it got too scared and went home before they even <laughs> went up to see this thing. So The smart the, ones of the group, I, I would wager. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. They were just like, fuck this, I'm tired, I'm going home. Um, so basically that left um, Neil Nunley, Teddy Neal, Eddie May, Freddie May, Kathleen May, Ronald Shaver, and Eugene Lemon um, as that group that ends up going up. And Eugene and Kathleen are quote unquote the un- adults, even though Eugene's like just turned 18. Um, and they also had three different dogs with them, like belonging to various members, which only comes into, like I only mentioned because it does come into play pretty soon. Um, so they start heading up this hill um, that like is a road then turns into a dirt path and goes into this farm. And so as they approach kind of from far away, they could see an orange and red light coming from the area that's illuminating the trees. It almost looks like a, like kind of like how a fire would illuminate trees, like a big fire, kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so after about 10 minutes, uh, they came to like a metal gate um, that was wired shut to a wooden post, which was used to fence in the main section of the farm area. So they undid that and like kept heading into this this property. Um, and eventually, after like a couple more minutes of walking, they come up what they describe as a craft that's kind of crashed into the earth, um, which they later say was about like 20 to 25 feet high. Uh, it was black in color and it appeared to be pulsating in brightness, um, giving off like an orange or violet hue, um, depending on which witness you're talking to. And also notably, despite like it looking like it was on fire as it entered this area, there wasn't any apparent heat being thrown off from the craft. So what they thought might have been flames from like a plane crash, it was actually this craft doing the pulsating lights. Um, and then, wow. like I said, no heat. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm um, sorry, how many, how, about how many witnesses are we talking here at this point? Um, I believe six. So one, two, three, four, okay. five, uh, seven. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's so like a five pretty boys solid and amount of people. Adults. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they like the thing about it is like, you know, witness testimony is almost less reliable if everyone's telling the exact same story, but there was enough like tiny variation in this that it seems like pretty incredibly believable. Um, like when you're like reading the individual accounts, especially people recalling it later, um, that kind of thing. Um, like from the original testimony to how they're remembering it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And so about the time they came upon it, this warm fog, like mist kind of starts blanketing the area and like drifting down the old wagon path towards them. Uh, and as this mist rolls in, the root begins to smell a pungent, nause- nauseating sulfur like odor that's like clawing at their noses and f- throats. So others in the group described it as a metallic odor, um, like if a tube in an old TV or an amp uh, um, blew out, or like if a fuse uh-huh. right after it's blown out. Um, and so despite this fog, um, they um, end up continuing to head up the path to see where now this like fog is rolling in from. Um, and so basically the fog... Um, 
was super unusual for that area. So other people are like, oh, it's just like the standard evening fog. And all of them are like, we've lived here our whole life. This wasn't like the standard fog that comes in uh, on like a <laughs> this September This was a different night. fog. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so um, the Charleston Gazette, where an article about this appeared the next day, could confirm that in the area when they visited it, um, it was close and hot with a foul odor prevailing even a day later. Um, so the reason I'm hitting the mist so I know hard, it smelled crazy in there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it smelled like it smelled like shit. And uh, the reason I'm hitting the mist so hard is just because it plays a really important role in what I think is one of the more plausible explanations of the event. Um, and so the gang continued up the path um, with Eugene Lemon who's like the 18 year old leading them with his flashlight. Um, and suddenly the collie dog that was with them froze and started to growl with like its ears, like just attack mode, ears straight up. And it darted ahead running like straight into this dense mist and then disappearing from sight for a few moments. Uh, and then they continued around the bend where they saw the collie go and just found this dog just barking and barking and barking like full attack mode. And then all of a sudden the dog just like, flipped on a dime and sprinted the opposite direction. Oh, oh no. Um, going, yeah, going back towards the house, you know, as fast as it fucking could. And despite the fact that now the mist is just like basically choking them and that a pretty sizable dog just sprinted in the opposite direction, uh, the group made the horror movie decision to keep walking <laughs> in the direction of whatever was emanating this mist. Um, and by the way, the dog was later found in town where it had vomited on a house veranda and then died. Oh, um, oh my God. So whatever this mist was, was not, uh, not something you should be breathing in essentially. Um, wow. so yeah. And just to take a quick segue, um, the author of that book, Frank explains that there were actually like two different landing sites, um, essentially found when it was investigated later where there were scorch marks in two separate spots where it initially appeared like this thing landed on the mountaintop, but then where the gang, came upon it was in the small valley down the hill um and like frank claims that's because it would be like less conspicuous to locals but it also might have just like rolled down if it was actually something that crashed um because it was very Uh, much like hilltop to valley like if you can imagine a farm like sloping that's then surrounded by kind of a denser forest um so that's kind of what the scene's like Um, okay so at this point at this point they have to climb over another gate to um Uh, across to a dirt path and Kathleen May who's the mother of these two kids Eddie and Freddie is now leading the way with the flashlight and the kind of sulfur odor or metallic odor only is becoming more sickening and more sickening as they get closer and closer to what's ever emanating this and now they also heard what they variously described as a hissing or whining noise um that like each it's like just a very very high pitched um kind of hum or or whine essentially okay um so yeah so they hop this fence um and a few of the kids stay behind when people start hopping this fence so there's basically a group that sees what happens next from a a sizable distance away and then a group that is kind of like right in the action Uh, and this is the monster part of the story so um, Gene Lemon, who's the 18-year-old, 
thought he saw a pair of eyes, so he turns his flashlight towards it. And right about the same time, the mother, Kathleen, turns her flight, uh, her flashlight towards the eyes as well. And initially, Jean thought it was going to be like the eyes of a possum or an owl, like sitting on a branch. Um, that's 12 feet off the ground, but when he turned his flashlight toward it, he just like let out a scream and dropped his flashlight. Like he f full on like horror movie, sees something terrifying, like falls, drops his flashlight. Um, and what the group saw is this like massive towering figure, which stood just to the right of this pretty sizable tree off this path. And Jean described it as a 10 foot monster with a blood red face and a green body that seemed to glow. Um, Whoa! Yeah, yeah. Whoa! Really weird, really weird description. Um, as far as cryptids go, and then others in the gang described it as having been either a black or aluminum gray color that looked green because it was reflecting the color of the bushes, um, which kind of gave it that illusion. And then the middle torso seemed almost like a cylinder, with the lower half of it fanned out like a metallic apron. Um, and then instead of arms, there were two short antenna-like things sticking straight out and then the head on it was apparently round and surrounded by a helmet that was shaped like an ace of spades so this is not like a copy and paste description of anything before like they're not like describing bigfoot or like a gray alien this is like a really weird fucking looking thing um, i was gonna say yeah like well especially yeah. with like ufo mythology i feel like it's always like a reptilian or a gray or something or like uh the the blonde people that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> the, uh, I, and, the nordics and, yeah the nordics yeah yeah and i'm this one is like i don't think i've ever heard a description of anything that sounds like remotely like this before yeah, exactly. Um, which is another reason I feel like this is pretty credible is because it's not like they were like conjuring up an image of something. It's that they're all kind of describing the same really weird thing. Um, so, yeah. And then basically, um, basically right at the time that happened, a this, whatever it is, shoots a beam of light that goes kind of above their heads, kind of from the head area. And then the whole area is apparently lit up. And then it apparently slowly turns around, like wavering from left to right, as if it was searching the horizon with these beams of light that are shooting out of it. Um, and once again, there's kids that saw this from further back. And then it's like Kathleen and Jean and a couple of the other kids who are closer to this. Um, so then it rose up and started hovering above the ground near the tree and apparently glided down this dirt path that they had all been walking down. And it passed directly in front of the mother, Kathleen, and then Jean, who had already fallen to the ground and dropped his flashlight. Um, and, and, and wait, it, so you, you said gliding. So is this like, were they reporting like it... it it wasn't necessarily touching the ground at this point. <clears throat> yeah. So basically everyone describes it as having hovering or floating. So not like it wasn't like bobbing up and down, like it was walking. It was like going in even kind of like movement above. Like if you, if you can imagine how like a drone flies when you're like pushing it forward, where it has a really even flight path, mm. like that's kind of how this thing walked where it was like floating almost um, where it was floating, it wasn't walking, it was floating down this path. And both of the kids who were further back and the ones close by described the same motion, where it wasn't doing any kind of thing that was remotely like walking, it was floating. Um, and at the same time as it was doing this, it started making like hissing and frying noises. Like one of the group members described it as like the sound of frying bacon. <laughs> um, and 
And it was also shooting like an oily substance out of it, which ended up getting on the clothing of a few members of the group. Um, so that is really insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, really fucking weird. And the weirdest thing about it is, uh, you know, like in retrospect, a lot of them describe it as more mechanical in nature rather than like you think of a cryptid, you think of like a flesh and blood thing. But this is more like almost a robot, essentially, um, if you if you could like picture it more like that rather than like flesh and blood. And wait, at um, this point, they had not. So so was this thing within like eyesight of the craft that they that they seen had seen or like was this like uh were they like further away from the craft at this point they were further away but like kind of almost just out of eyesight down the path so kind of as you have to imagine it there was this this slow like softly slanting hill the craft was kind of um towards the bottom of it and then there's like a gate and then like this path kind of cut into the woods. It was like an old wagon path. And now they're walking up that path. So it's almost within eye shot of the craft. They're kind of like halfway between it. They would pass the craft again on the way back. Okay. Um, okay. So it's as if this thing, it's as if, the, is, sorry, it's as if this thing came out of the craft and was kind of like exploring the area or like trying to figure out what was going on, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, Because it was it was it was nearby for sure. Um, And basically um, just all about the same time, everyone decides, fuck this. I'm out and just starts booking it back to the (laughs) back to town. Um, (laughs) And uh, everyone ran back to the May household, which is that, you know, Kathleen, the mother who was there and Eddie and Freddie. Everyone ran back to that household except for Teddy Neal, who ran an extra half a mile back to his own house, where he proceeded to lock himself in his room, blast his radio, and refused to talk to his parents. <laughs> he was just like, he's had a really traumatizing day and did not want to think about it. Um, so, so he was just like, listen to Elvis or whatever. Uh, I don't know what was on at that time. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah. Uh, that's what he did and everyone else was back at the May house and it was kind of just like chaos. So Kathleen Hughes, the mother just kind of went into full on care mode for all these like basically screaming children that are now in her house who have just been traumatized from whatever this was. But the crazy thing is they all had like very real physical symptoms from the experience because all of them had difficulty breathing. Um, some of the boys were bruised and bleeding from where they had fallen, like after their sp- uh, sprint all of them had eye like their eyes were glassy and tearing up and then their throats and sinuses were inflamed and then gene lemon who's the 18 year old threw up multiple times all night long and was having full body like convulsions um so it's like they had all been exposed to something that was definitely toxic um uh which is kind of a huge i th- i think like goes towards one of the theories i want to talk about at the end um okay okay yeah, yeah. And the next day, the um, Eddie and Freddie um, were brought to the doctor because their throats were so inflamed that they couldn't even drink water. And then after examining them, the doctor said the closest thing he had ever seen to it was mustard gas poisoning. Oh, my God. That's yeah. also, I, I feel like that whole, like, radiation element, um, mm. I, I don't know if it's radiation or what, but, like, there's, like, a toxic element to some of these UFO encounters, I feel like. So that's... I don't know. Yeah, that's, for sure. It, that's just very interesting. Yeah, because like you know, like with uh, you know, like the Mothman case or other cases where people get conjunctivitis after seeing a UFO or that kind of thing. It's it's very much kind of in line with that. Right. Um, right. 
That's going to be my and, excuse if I ever have conjunctivitis. Uh, yeah, but. yeah. I wasn't like rubbing shit on my face. Yeah. I got exposed to you. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so uh, then basically, so this all happened kind of early at night. Um, they that was around like eight fifteen at night that they got back, and almost immediately, Kathleen called the sheriff to report what they had seen. Um, but the person that answered was actually the jailkeeper, who said that the sheriff and the rest of like the small law enforcement, um, you know, group in this town had gone down the river twenty miles um, to a town near Frametown because they were investigating a plane crash. Um, so. That's also super weird <clears throat> that yeah. basically they had been dispatched to a separate crash, um, which apparently happened slightly prior to whatever crashed here. Um, and like then slightly prior, did they say like same day slightly prior or like, uh, like how slightly yeah, prior? Yeah, because they had, they were all essentially there investigating what had been reported as a plane crash, but they had okay, never okay. actually been able to find anything. Like it wasn't an actual plane crash that they found. It was that people had seen something go down near frame town and were like, you need to come check this out. But then no plane was ever found. See that, um, that adds to the credibility of this a lot in, just in general yeah. for me. Yeah. Cause that's like another on the very on the books thing, you know, like the, the cops were there, you know, going right. to investigate what was called in as a plane crash. Um, and basically, um, it was either the state trooper or the jailkeeper who then phoned this guy, Ailey Stort Jr., um, who was the co-owner of the Braxton Democrat, which is essentially the only really newspaper around at the time. And he essentially, like, jumped at this story and just, like, started booking it to Flatwoods. Um, and so he arrived in town a little after 9 p.m., and picked up this guy, Bill Stewart's, who is working at his father's general store. Um, and they both went to the May ha household where basically it was still in full chaos. You know, kids screaming, jeans vomiting and convulsing, um, that kind <laughs> of thing. And, and, um, but despite the fact that Gene was in such bad shape, these two guys forced Gene and this other kid, Neil, to show them back to where this had happened. And meanwhile, this had just happened like an hour prior. And they were like, you need to go back to where you were just like severely traumatized and so Stuart like like forces him to like point out where this all was they walk back up to it uh and he's Stuart says as a matter of fact i had my hand up around one of the boys necks who is crying under his breath like a whipped pup <laughs> so he's literally like forcing this incredibly traumatized 18 year old like back to the side of this fucking thing oh uh, that's back um, when men were men that's awesome yeah <laughs> exactly yeah no no really uh wimping out about this <laughs> Um, so uh at this point it was like i said like an hour and a half later when they got back to this spot and they could all still smell the sulfur odor but the monster didn't make another appearance and there were also about kind of two sort of skid marks that were about eight or ten feet apart that led down the sleep, steep slope from the wagon path and then ended an area that was about 10 feet wide that looked like it was kind of trampled down and freshly depressed, like kind of the way like if you set down like a really heavy box on a patch of grass for a set of time and then lifted it up, it's all kind of flattened. That's what this eight or 10 foot radius looked like. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that's presumably where, you know, whatever this craft was landed for the second time and where they saw it. Um, and then finally later the sheriff shows up, you know, after they had all gotten back from the second trip. Um, but then when the sheriff tried to bring 
two dogs to the area they ran away howling um like the other dog from earlier that as a reminder died (laughs) Um, yeah wow which is once again another like confirmed thing on the books is that this fucking dog just randomly died after walking up towards whatever this was was there anything Um, that happened i I guess presumably at this point like whatever was causing the toxicity was i guess gone by this time but like were the dogs that the cops brought were were there like did they have any symptoms after this or or was it mainly like just the barking i think it was mainly the barking i didn't read anything about them being negatively affected because like i think by the time this like secondary investigation happened that night the mist had kind of like lightened or cleared from how thick it was like right after it had first gone down okay um yeah so presumably it would be like they could still smell it but it was like less of a kind of like concentrated mass of it in the air um so, um, yeah, so then um, there were reports that the United States uh, Army National Guard had been mobilized into Braxton County under the direction of the U.S. Air Force that night. Um, then they were apparently directed to the Frametown area where that alleged plane crash was, where the uh, law enforcement was out investigating. But then after discovering nothing, they apparently showed up in Flatwoods after hearing about the reports there. Um, and so in his book, Frank actually tracks down this guy, Colonel, uh, Colonel Dale Levitt, who, um, went to the farm that night, uh, on September 12th with about 50 West Virginia National Guardsmen to investigate the site. And this was like supposed to be a little bit secretive. They arrived at about 1.30 AM in the morning, uh, in the orders from uh, the United States Air Force. And then they stayed until the morning, but apparently didn't find anything major. Um, But he did say that they were tasked with collecting samples of the oil and then sending them to the Air Force for testing. But the colonel never heard results about that. Um, It was just kind of like, sent out and then this it was like this weird thing in this colonel's life that he ended up kind of thinking about for the rest of his life because it was such a weird night um so so the samples were sent for testing but at least according to this guy there was no like conclusion about it there was no like oh that's what this was yeah exactly well because he was part of the the national guard and then he sent it to the air force and then just despite asking he never got any reports back about what it was um it just kind of was sent into the abyss of bureaucracy at the air force (laughs) oh you know Um, they you know they sent that right on up to mj12 and then oh yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly um and then uh interestingly the colonel also described the landing site as not having been burnt but also looking like something had gently landed and pressed down the grass so all those reports are also very similar um where there's nothing was burnt like despite the heat being seen there was pressed down but it wasn't like something had crashed there it was like something had landed um and yeah, so basically at this point, if I were just to fully outline Frank's book, we'd be here for like fucking 12 hours because he goes into exhaustive detail about like, he really does a good job of interviewing all these witnesses and kind of like weaving it all together. But then he does go into conspiracy theory stuff. But that would be the book to check out if the case um, sounds interesting for you. And so basically uh, the aftermath of all this is that uh, after the story broke the original group came under like intense media scrutiny uh, and the original reports got blown out of proportion and like a ton of details started to get fabricated about it as well Um, and they were kind of like written off as being like you know UFO, UFO kooks like that kind of thing 
And um, yeah, so that's basically what happened to the original group. And then I was also trying to find a source for this because I had heard it in a different podcast about this. But apparently Kathleen, the mother, had received a letter from the government um, saying that what they had seen was like essentially a test experimental craft that um, wasn't supposed to land in such a populated area or something like that. Um, and and, and then along being, with it, a, I guess, a test experimental 10-foot monster with a metal yeah. skirt as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and they were like, sorry about that. <laughs> and that was kind of the letter. <laughs> um, yeah, and so... Um, then basically like since then this case was like forgotten a little bit for a while and then has kind of come back into popular culture um, specifically it's like really popular in Japan like there have been different animes about it and like things like that um, and it's appeared in a few different pop culture things like it was in Fallout 76 and all kinds of stuff like that so the monster just because of how weird the description of it is and then like the following uh, initial illustrations of it and what that that looks like it's just kind of taken off because it's such an interesting almost designed for a monster or a robot um and like i said there's that museum in flatwoods now that kind of has all the different memorabilia on it um uh and a really nice dude who runs it i got some flatwoods guitar picks when i was there Whoa, uh, nice. <laughs> flatwoods yeah. flat picks baby yeah exactly exactly <laughs> um so yeah and uh that's pretty much the Flowoods monster case. Uh, and like I said, there's, uh, there's this one report basically that apparently this family from New York saw, um, a, basically a day later in a part of West Virginia, that's kind of like an hour South saw something similar. Um, but the reason I didn't cover that is because they reported it, um, three years after they had apparently seen it. Uh. So there was plenty of time for this to get, like get into the media and then for them to fabricate something if they wanted. And it, their story just seems like a little too perfect for me, I guess. Um, they said they didn't come forward cause it, they were like really scared about it, but it really seemed like kind of a weird, uh, tagging along to this one. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. And that's yeah, yeah, bound yeah. to happen. I mean, yeah, I, the first yeah. report, I mean like the original report, that is, uh, you know, I, I don't, I wasn't sure what I was expecting you to tell me today about the Flatwoods monster, but, <laughs> but that has a level of credibility that I feel like a lot of, you know, it's got a lot of things that a lot of UFO stories are missing, like A, like some clear physical evidence, um, yeah. B, multiple witnesses, C, um, corroborating reports of like military mobilization to the same area at the same time that I I'm sure yep. could be confirmed. So like, yeah, there's a lot going on there. That's super interesting. Yeah, definitely. And, um, like I said, um, you know, the guy Frank goes into the whole like extra conspiracy theory, like this was the most active day ever in the U S of like UFO stuff and blah, 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 blah. And that is interesting. Cause it does like, he does make some interesting points about um, basically how much was happening in the skies and how many crashes were reported that night. So that's another whole thing to go into, honestly, just because of how much detail he goes into about that. Like that could be its whole other episode, but um, yeah, it's part of this bigger kind of UFO um, flap from that one like 48 hour period um gotcha yeah yeah so um what do you think it was <laughs> <laughs> oh man well i guess like so there's a lot of things bouncing around in my head one of the one of the elements of this story which is like the crash element that has always yeah. been 
um, a confusing aspect of specifically, like, I know this is also like a cryptid story, but like specifically of UFO stories to me, like, for example, I actually still find the Roswell events. I know a lot of people are skeptics about Roswell, understandably, because it's become like a, you know, like a pop culture thing and whatnot. I, you know, after looking into it more, I definitely think there's a lot of things about it that are very strange. I think, you know, the military seemed to be like at first pretty convinced it was a UFO and then like very immediately called off the story, or whatever. Anyway, I'm rambling about Roswell, but the reason I bring it up is because like the thing that's been hardest for me to kind of buy about Roswell and I guess about this story too is like if there is something with techno- technological capabilities that are so far beyond our own that they have like silent crafts that like glide and things like this it's like how are they crashing like that's yeah <laughs> i guess that that's like my biggest like dubious thing so but to answer your question ah uh, i have no idea i mean um you know i think a lot of uh, UFO sightings or like sightings of craft like obviously we assume it's from space or something um, mm. I you know I literally have like an I want to believe poster in the room that I'm recording this from so like I'm yeah I'm certainly like in that camp I want to think that they're from like other planets and stuff but like you know also with stories like this um, there's no there's nothing to really discount the possibility that it's like a terrestrial thing, like a some governmental thing, right? Although the monster, the monster aspect of it is is makes that a little bit confusing too, because that just adds a whole layer to it that makes it seem like more than an experimental military craft or something. But then B, Definitely. like, you know, I mean, a lot of these UFOs. Um, they call them USOs now because they're seeing them go underwater and like yeah, exit yeah, yeah. and re-enter like bodies of water. And so like it definitely raises a question for me about like, um, <laughs> I don't know, there might be stuff living on this planet that we don't know about. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So and, I, and um, yeah. Yeah. That uh, just to take a slight tangent, that brings me to kind of a little bit um I want to talk about about the West Virginia UFO book, which is uh, I am a freak, so I read the entire thing cover <laughs> to cover. Um, and it's basically this guy who completely shouldn't be a writer, just interviewing a bunch of random people in West Virginia, and it's really poorly written. But the actual <laughs> accounts are really interesting, mainly because they're really consistent in that almost all of these sightings, they see these things come in and out of mountains. So... Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really interesting to me, especially having gone to West Virginia um, and just seeing how spaced out like living is there essentially like besides the dense population centers, like when you're out in West Virginia, you are like fucking out in West Virginia. Um, And there's so many hills and mountains and things like that. And what was really interesting to me about all those reports is that, um, you know, all these crafts or like a lot of them are seen go like as if they had quote unquote crashed or landed on a mountain, but then nothing's ever seen um, and mm-hmm. kind of in similar areas. Um, so that 
is part of why I'm like secret base question mark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the other thing, which is uh, to set the scene about West Virginia more, is there's a 13,000 square mile national radio quiet zone in West Virginia, and it's in the bottom right of West Virginia. And what that means is no radio transmissions are allowed, like like nothing. Is that um, a, is that a military imposed rule? Um, so it's a governmental imposed rule and I can't remember what the like official re- reasoning is for it. Um, and it also centers around, there's an observatory called Green Bank Observatory, which is quote unquote, the quietest part of the quiet zone. Um, and that's where, you know, like as you get closer and closer to it, like the, um, restrictions on what can be transmitted are like more and more, um, restricted, you know? And um, so that's really just interesting to me because it's such a huge swath of area where even if like, like if something was seen, like who would necessarily believe these people who are like living in this quiet zone, like that kind of thing. Um, so it oh, almost so seems people like a do two- inhabit the quiet zone. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Like there's, there's towns, there's towns in it. Um, we, I, when I was in West Virginia, we drove to the green bank observatory and we drove, you know, uh, one of the national forests is essentially in the quiet zone. Uh, so actually when I was there, I like turned on the radio in my car and it's just, it's like, if you turn search on, it would just search forever because there was nothing being transmitted. It was like super eerie. That's um, and bizarre. that's for that's for thirteen thousand square miles where there's no radio transmission, um, no cell service either, obviously. Um, so it's just nothing, and that to me is like so sketchy. And also, uh, the NSA used to have a base near Green Bank, um, so that was like their established spot, one of their established spots on the East Coast. Um, and not to get like too conspiracy theory here, but there's another episode I'm going to do in the future about the Greenbrier Resort, um, where essentially the government um, secretly built uh, the nuclear fallout shelter for all of Congress. Uh, and I got a tour, ah. like they give they give tours of it now. Um, and it was in this a resort that was built in the 1700s in West Virginia. That's this massive, massive resort for the like uber wealthy. And they secretly built the um, fallout shelter meant to house Congress there. Uh, Eisenhower initiated it and nobody knew about it until 1992. So there's literally a bunker in this hotel that nobody except like five employees of the hotel ever knew about. See, Um, and that really quickly, just to pause you there, that's like the perfect example of why like, yeah, some conspiracy theories are really stupid, but like there are so many things that the government is actually pretty successfully able to keep under wraps like that we find out about like decades later. You know what I mean? Like, like it's actually, I feel like it's easier for, um, you know, organizations like the NSA or, or things like that to be secretive than people realize. For sure. Um, I mean, especially, I think that was the most surreal moment as like, I'll talk about more when I do that episode. Cause my partner, Abby, who went there with me also like wants to be on that one just to talk about how surreal that experience was of like, you were like standing in a conspiracy theory, like literally <laughs> like, yeah, you're I want to hear, like, hear y'all talk about yeah, that. Yeah. It was one of the most single like most surreal fever dream days ever um and that's like i said an episode in itself but like all of that combined makes kind of this story more interesting to me is actually having been there um and if that letter actually came to kathleen may um 
makes me think that like it really wouldn't be so wild for there to be an area 51 type like secret military base somewhere in that area of west virginia because there's so many reports of these crafts um from that area and it's such a like rural um place um that like and there's been proven government activity all around it that it's like that seems like a high possibility for like this having been some kind of experimental craft um which would explain the mustard gas poisoning yeah um yeah and and like a person in some kind of you know new suit or like technology they were testing out which is what those people ended up seeing was like some kind of early prototype of a spacesuit or something ah, like that. Oh, um, interesting. And sorry, this was yeah. what year in the fifties again? 1952. 1952. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know like, um, there are some like fringe, there's some more fringe people in the UFO community who I've heard that basically say like, um, you know, this, the like secret, like black ops departments of the air force and like, um, Lockheed Martin and things like that had uh, had figured out some sort of anti-gravity like propulsion system in the early to mid 50s, I want to say. So it's interesting right. that like, you know, I'm not saying that's true, but it, that's like mm. an interesting timeline uh, for these sorts of things to be seen. Yeah, especially in my mind, because also like it is like Cold War era kind of thing and and biological weapon testing was still definitely a thing um and the fact that all of these people had essentially like you know the results of what sounds to me like a chemical weapon (laughs) Um, like basically like that kind of poisoning um makes me lean more less towards the alien side of things and more towards this was actually some kind of experimental craft um and that's what these people saw and so that's my own personal pet theory the one that was like the main debunked theory is that there was like a big meteor shower like proven on record that day and so these people saw a meteor uh and then uh that what they actually saw was an owl a big owl uh, that (laughs) swooped down the tree at them and they were all so scared that like that's why uh they thought it was a monster um which i don't personally buy (laughs) but i definitely think they saw they saw some kind of craft they saw something really strange but i lean more towards the this was some kind of uh secret like top secret government craft um that had to make some kind of emergency landing and didn't necessarily crash because it obviously got away but um it had to make some kind of like stop over because something might have been malfunctioning which also explains why this fucking chemical weaponry might have been leaking you know out of it (laughs) and (laughs) and to that point as well like i feel like it's almost no less remarkable if this thing was a government or military craft than it would be an alien because like, you know, assuming that the witnesses were correct in saying there seemed to be no heat coming off of it and um, that it was able to, didn't you say it was like able to slow itself down upon landing? Like according to the, that's what people said. Yeah. 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 See that, that would indicate that this thing is, potentially not using fossil fuels which exactly which yeah. would have yeah. like insane implications like if that's actually the case and if things like that have been tested since the 1950s like you know that i mean people should be in the streets about that <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like absolutely yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so overall, I, th- I feel like it's just a really interesting case because there's so many different angles for it. And like, regardless of 
what it was like i'm pretty convinced that this group did see something like really fucking weird that day um because just of how all the accounts um kind of bounce off each other and corroborate each other um and also kind of how they've talked about it since it, it seems like a really credible report from from all of them really um so yeah it's, it's just super super interesting to me um and also like i feel like when we eventually do Mothman, I'm going to go back and reference this uh, because it's another kind of like weird hovering cryptid thing that I feel like necessarily isn't disconnected from this case um, also. So yeah, it's a, it's really, really weird one. <laughs> yeah, no, you've, you've like, uh, you've really enlightened me today, Connor. I feel like that, that <laughs> was like much more productive for my understanding of the issue than like me skimming Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> I try <laughs> yeah um, so that's the Flatwoods Monster go visit their museum it's great they also have a Bigfoot museum in town which is a bit of a shill but also pretty good uh, the Monster Museum's better and also don't go to the Point Pleasant Monster uh, Mothman Museum that is definitely a shill and not worth driving across the state for <laughs> oh, um, we're, we're burning bridges on episode one I love that we, yeah <laughs> we've made enemies already that's sick but I fully support the Flywoods Monster Museum. Great, great space. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as you probably know, if you're listening to this, this is our first episode and we wanted this to be part call in show as well. So um, we actually put out a call for people to send us any like paranormal stories, cryptid stories or UFO stories from their own personal experience, because I think those generally tend to be the most interesting ones. Um, and so we got a few already for this first episode. So we're going to do like that mailbag portion segment now. So um, the first story that we're going to listen to is um, from Arthur Allgood. Um, and it's about a UFO encounter that he had with his brother uh, growing up. And he also is a really good musician that we know. He makes music under the name Phones with Chords. So definitely give that a listen on Spotify, Bandcamp, etc. Um but yeah, so I'm going to play this recording from Arthur now, and then Connor and I are going to react to it. So here you go. Hi, this is Arthur. Um, I am the, I don't know, principal songwriter or anyway, the guy behind um, Phones with the Chords. Anyway, I wanted to share a message or a story uh, kind of UFO story that happened when I was a kid. And it's really about my brother. Um, my brother, he's a year and a half younger than me. Um, I think at the time he was like eight, um, seven or eight. He may have been a little older. I don't know. Anyway, we lived out kind of like, like in rural middle Tennessee, and so we were pretty far away from, like, the closest town was about 30 minutes. That's where we went to, like, school and stuff. But at our house, it's, it was, at that time, it was really secluded. Um, so anyway, one day, my brother was outside. We had, like, a basketball, like, goal set up, and he was outside playing basketball. And I was inside for... A, for some reason, usually I was outside, but I've, that day in particular, I was inside and my brother was out there shooting 
uh, you know, shooting basketball, and he... I've had him tell this story to me recently, and he said that he looked up and he saw this thing floating. There's kind of like a fence line behind where the basketball uh, goal was, and so he saw this, this, like he describes it as looking like a tic tac, um, you know, like the shape, like kind of rounded off. Like a rectangle, but rounded off uh, on both both ends, and it was just like floating there. Um, I don't think it was like big or anything. You know, I'm thinking like it was like maybe like feet big, like wide, but it just kind of hovered there near the fence line. And he said he just looked up and he saw it, and he looked at this thing. And this thing seemed to kind of look back at him. And then it was just like he he describes that he was just kind of struck or, you know, just like stopped in his tracks. And then for some whatever reason, the thing just kind of like, I mean, in an almost like instant, just like went away. And... Anyway, so it's like, yeah, he describes like seeing this thing and then all of a sudden it just like shoots and it like, and it's gone. And so that day my mom said that he comes running, my brother comes running into the house and literally looks like is is pale, (coughs) excuse me, is pale and is like white as a sheet. And, um, just looking like he's seen a ghost or just like, and it was just, his eyes were as big as, you know, I mean, as they could be. And my mom was just like, what's going on, you know? And he describes that he saw this thing, you know? Um, So I was the older brother and I, I don't honestly remember the day that it happened. I remember hearing about it later. Um, But anyway, yeah. And so... But when the um, the footage from um, the military footage that was just released, what during twenty twenty, um, I, I you know this top secret uh, footage that was released, you know it was like this this kind of thing that was like on top of the uh, water. We have video footage the government does of that. My brother saw that. He said that that looked nearly identical to what he saw that day outside. So, anyway. Hope this helps. Um, Yeah, my brother saw a UFO. Um, Well, yeah, so so thoughts on that, Connor? Yeah, um, that was honestly a really great story. I was... um, I was wondering if he was like aware of the Tic Tac uh, UFO video, you know, because obviously like anyone with even a tangential interest in UFOs, like hearing the word Tic Tac was like a, you know, like a light bulb going off in your head. Oh, yeah. But um, I thought it was really interesting how small it was because he described it as, you know, like a couple feet as opposed to like a giant craft. And the other interesting thing was that it disappeared and it wasn't like described as shooting off. It just kind of like dissolved almost or was like gone it, it, yeah yeah it was yeah. gone 
Yeah. Um, so no, that's uh, that's a really interesting story. I love the like stories like this that are like mini UFOs essentially, or like I can't remember what that official word in the community is for them. But yeah, essentially these almost like drone-sized UFOs that have been seen for kind of decades before drones were a thing. Um, that's really interesting to me, uh, at least. And um, yeah, no, I I, I like that there was such a, I mean, I feel bad for his brother, but it's interesting that there was such a physical reaction from seeing this thing, like, um, really shocked, you know? Um, so it adds a lot of validity to that to me as well. Um, it's a cool, cool story. Yeah. I, I find it interesting. He was like describing it as like, kind of like hovering above the fence line. And like, um, I've read way too many, uh, encounter stories for, for a sane person to have read. Um, right. but I, uh, a lot of, a lot of it seems to be, um, similar to this one, especially in like childhood cases where like a child describes seeing one of these things. And it's like, I don't know. I couldn't really tell exactly how close it was to his brother from his description. But, right. um, I think one thing that's interesting about the UFO thing is, a lot of these encounter stories have this element of it being like oddly close to the ground, close to the person who's witnessing it. Like, mm. um, you know, and, and I think that kind of, uh, especially pre drone in like the pre drone era, um, that's definitely just like a strange element that I haven't quite figured out what to do with yet as far as like what to make of it. But that does seem to be a through line in a lot of stories I've heard. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's also interesting because I feel like um, there's so many stories where people see like the big craft, right, or something, and then they see small lights kind of like flitting around it, like as if it was like, these were kind of like mini crafts that kind of, there's like the mothership or whatever you want to call it. And then there's, and then there's like these much smaller crafts kind of flitting about around it. Um, And I don't know. I feel like that almost lends credence to like this type of story where you have something that could almost be a detachment of a bigger um, vehicle or craft or something like that as well. Um, Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, it also like brings into play the fact that disappeared the kind of interdimensional theory of ufos as well where instead of seeing it kind of shoot away it just almost like phased away or something like that um which is kind of weird uh yeah that aspect to me is is super interesting because like um i'm sure a lot of these sightings are some sort of military technology but um yeah the interdimensional thing is i i almost feel like for for you know an object to move the way that these things are often described as moving, um, it, it definitely would require something outside of our current understanding of like propulsion, right? And definitely. and so I think it, obviously it's very strange and unexplainable that these things kind of seem to flit in and out almost of like existence. But um, to me, for something, <laughs> you know, let's say it's of extraterrestrial origin, for example, for something to get here from the far reaches of space like it would have to be moving in ways that are essentially magic to us yeah (laughs) yeah exactly uh, (laughs) it it couldn't be going from point a to point b on like a linear trajectory um definitely so um yeah well thanks for sending that in arthur that was like a super interesting one um yeah definitely uh, yeah and listen to listen to phones with cords too um it's a a great great (laughs) so um thank you arthur yeah Yeah. All right. So the next one we've got is uh, a ghost story from Sam. 
Um, so I'm going to go ahead and play this for you now. Um, Connor and I are going to listen and give you our thoughts. So here it is. Hi, my name is Sam Regan, and I'm going to tell you about the time when I saw a ghost. So um, I was in Stockton, California. This was probably about five-ish years ago, so let's say like 2017, 2018. And uh, it was pretty late at night, like maybe around midnight or so. Uh, Maybe like after some show or after some kind of event where I was out with a group of like six or seven people um just not just like hanging out we didn't have anything left to do for the night but we weren't ready to go home so just kind of killing time um and so we drove over to the neighborhood near the university uh university of pacific it's kind of like um kind of an older neighborhood uh it's pretty quiet um and just like kind of mostly residential by midnight there's nobody around uh and so we drove there and there's like a little there's like a roundabout a big roundabout in that neighborhood with like a um little grassy area in the middle of the roundabout and so we were hanging out there and we were smoking weed um and then we decided to walk the like five or six blocks over to the university and walk around the campus there. And um, so we were on our way walking down the street. And we walked in front of this house that has these motion sensor lights. And so we walked by and the lights came on. Um, and the lights, you know, they lit up like the whole side of this house. And this house had like a driveway that went into like um, like a little overhang car park type area, I think is what it's called. It's not like really a garage because it's like open, you know but you could see through it into the backyard. Um, and right when these like motion sensor lights came on, they lit up, there was this like woman in a, this old woman, this old white woman, uh, which will be important later. And she was in like a nightdress and just standing there <clears throat> looking at us. Like, I swear she was making eye contact with me. And, she was just standing in the backyard looking out at us. And as soon as the lights came on, she just kind of like, uh, just like went, it looked like she was like floating. I mean, I couldn't see her feet and she was, but she just like moved suddenly very quickly behind the wall in like of the back of the house. So we couldn't see her. So I only saw her for like a moment. Um, and I saw her and my friend Haley also saw her. So I know it wasn't just, like, me hallucinating because I smoked weed or something weird like that. Uh, And um, it was super fucking spooky. Uh, And there's reasons to believe that she's not, that she wasn't just the old woman that lived in the house, that she was a ghost. And the first one is that she lives around the corner from another one of my friends, Serafino. And I asked Serafino about, or I told Serafino about that, and he told me that the family that lives there is a Cambodian family. So, like, what was an old white lady doing in their backyard uh, if she wasn't a ghost, you know? And the second uh, reason is there's also a rumor that the one of, like, the dorms on the university campus was an insane asylum, I think. Um 
so like of course she's a ghost right that's how it works um i also think that that rumor might i've heard that rumor about like also the community college and the university of stanislaus campus that's in stockton like people say they all used to be insane asylums so if any of that is true seems a little skeptical but um i think as we should when it comes to paranormal things i'm just going to choose to believe it because i definitely saw a ghost and that's just how i feel about it okay that one was that one was very interesting to me i feel like um had it not been for the detail that a cambodian family lived currently at the place um it would have been a little bit easier personally for me to be like, okay, well, you know, you might've just seen like, you know, just an actual person. Um, and I guess that's still possible, but I don't know. What do you think, Connor? <laughs> I think that story is hilarious. Um, first of all, we need, first of all, we need to call the cops on this motherfucker for smoking. weed. Uh, yeah, second yeah, our podcast, is like, we, we actually have an anti-weed <laughs> podcast. So yeah, we're sponsored by dare. Um, anyway, um, no, I, I love that story. I love ghost stories where um, it's like it could just be a regular person, like where it's like the stories where there's like a car driving and then there's just like a person where they fucking shouldn't be on the side of the road. And it's like, was that just someone who's there for a weird reason or is that a ghost? Uh, so I love stories like this. Um, in my mind, this was like totally just a person, <laughs> um, uh, which I which I love um, because it was to- like I could totally see a scenario where this is like a family friend like visiting this family and they like went out to like stargaze or just like maybe smoke a cigarette or something in the backyard and then they were like in a nightgown so they got embarrassed when the lights came on so like since they were super anxious they just like ducked behind the thing so this group of like fucking hooligans walking down the street didn't see her but like she was too soon like she was too late um so in my mind that's totally what was happening but i think it's hilarious to also think it could have just been a ghost um, <laughs> sam, yeah, sam yeah. i'm gonna be the molder to connor scully here and i'm gonna side with you um purely for uh, the sake of of disagreeing so that's uh yeah I, i've decided that this is a ghost yeah there was like what speaking of west virginia again there was like one night where we had been like driving late at night on the highway um it was like we had gone to see a bunch of stuff and it was in the middle of fucking nowhere on the highway and there was just a guy on the side of the road and it scared the fuck out of me and it like because it really would just like it was a person and it was definitely a person but like why was he like 20 miles from literally anything just on the side of this highway walking (laughs) and like and the worst part was that abby like my partner who's in the car didn't see it and and they were like what are you talking about i'm like the person they're like i didn't see anything (laughs) i was like should i be driving right now (laughs) um so that's what that's what this story reminds me of a little bit it's like i love those stories about like um could the person in like the grocery store be a ghost you know um (laughs) yes i love absolutely (laughs) yeah um so that was a great story thank you for sending yeah thank you sam we appreciate it um okay we have one more in the bank that we could that we could do or we could save it for a future episode what do you think connor should we leave it in the bank or should we go ahead and spill the beans on the on the next ghost we're doing it now because every single person listening to this episode needs to fucking send us a voice memo yes Uh, i know what brings us to our next point (laughs) which is if you want to hear your lovely voice on this broadcast uh and you have a great story you should definitely send it in because we will talk about it 
Yeah. Um, the email is I know what I saw podcast at gmail.com. Um, definitely just pull up your voice memo app. Um, we might make fun of you a little bit, but we're going to do it in good humor. And also it's just like, I don't know, we want it to be a fun space for you to share these like weird stories. Um, so yeah, please send them in. Uh, it would be really great to have this inbox be full. Uh, so please. 1000%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. The final, the final story for today from a listener, um, is from James in Raleigh. Um, uh, thank you for sending this one in James. Um, this is another ghost story. We're going to go in blind. Um, we're going to play it for you and react. So here it goes. Back in April this year, I was doing this long hike on the Uwari Trail here in North Carolina. And it's an area that's known for Bigfoot, but I didn't see Bigfoot. What I saw was on the fourth day, I was like really starting to get tired and worn out. It's the last day of hiking. And I'm coming up a hill and I see another hiker uh, who is up ahead of me off the trail, like where there's some like logs to sit on and stuff. And so I see this person. I saw him clearly. They had on like a baseball cap, everything. I'm like, I'm going to stop up here too. Maybe have a little break, a snack. And as I keep walking, I go like between a couple of trees. There's a couple of trees that kind of block my view of them. And I couldn't see the person anymore. But I saw a like an old-timey... Uh, kind of like a knapsack or duffel bag in the crook of a tree near where they were. I'm like, okay, well, they must have stashed their bag up there while they're sitting down. And I keep walking, and I look down, and then I look back up, uh, and I'm past the trees that are blocking my view, and there's nobody there. There's nowhere in the forest. Because at that point, I had a clear view in every direction. There's nowhere that a person could have gone, like in the 15 seconds. Like, you know, they, they would have to be in sight somewhere. There's nowhere they could be, like, hiding. There was just no one there. And I don't know if that was, like, a ghost or probably I was just, like, very exhausted. But in my brain, I was like, uh, no, this is wrong. Either I, you know, am, 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 am seeing things that's not there, which is probably the case, or that was, like, a ghost of like a hiker or something now it didn't look like someone uh that was like you know old like old time your civil war or something it looked like someone more like recently because i saw they had like you know like a more modern like ball cap and everything so it was just very weird and after that i don't know <laughs> i was glad to be done with the hike and get out of the woods all right thanks for that one james um Connor, I I feel like I know what you're gonna say after <laughs> your reaction to the first one, but you don't I'm know. Me. Let you start. <laughs> um, no, this one was actually more convincing for me. Uh, I liked like because I can imagine the scenario where um, you know, like if it's a more thinly wooded area where um, I could kind of imagine all that playing out perfectly, uh, and it is definitely like really fucking weird that you know. Um, this person kind of just dis disappeared, right? Uh, obviously, like, the skeptical explanation of this would be, like, there was somewhere that 
um, James didn't see where this um, person just kind of like sat down or like there was just something obstructing the field of vision in a weird way, um, which I could totally see happening. But also like I wasn't there. I don't know how thinly wooded it was. And he seems like he's been in the woods a lot. And this was definitely something that stood out to him. Um, the interesting thing, though, is like the combo of the old timey knapsack and then like the more modern dress of the person and like whether yeah. that was just a con- coincidence i don't know um it could have also honestly it could have been someone uh like living in the woods <laughs> um like True. or like close to town uh, and they just didn't want to be like spotted or reported i could also see that um coming into play but this element uh of them just disappearing so fast is like a little more um convincing for me than the last story i think sure yeah i mean i definitely think it's like i definitely think the the biggest possible rational explanation for this to my mind is just like you know hiker exhaustion on the part of james definitely Uh, just like (laughs) seeing things but that's also a bit of a stretch because i mean you know your mind can play tricks on you but I feel like you'd have to be at a pretty serious state of like delirious for that to happen. Yeah, um, exactly. And, uh, you know, if I was a ghost, uh, you know, I, I'd probably want to hike the Appalachian trail. I mean, you don't have to take off work, <laughs> you know, like that. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like that would be a, a fun, earthly haunting activity to do. Yeah. Um, that's so. the time to do it. <laughs> when <laughs> else are you going to have, yeah. yeah. When else are you going to have that kind of time to hike it? So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, James. Yeah. Thank um, you, James. I think that wraps up the mailbag portion and therefore the first episode. Um, Yay. <laughs> so yeah, that's in, that's in the books. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening. Um, you know, we're definitely going to keep doing these. Connor and I have a lot of ideas for topics. If you have ideas for topics that you think would make sense on this show, um, you can send them to, I know what I saw podcast at gmail.com um, or our yep. Instagram Um, and you know, I'm sure if it's interesting enough, we will do the deep dive. We'll cover it. Um, Definitely. So yeah, that's um, all I've got to say. Yeah. And definitely please send in your stories. Obviously from this episode, you could have just seen someone on the street and you could talk about it. So um, (laughs) you can make it up. You can make it up. So please just send it in. Um, no, but, (laughs) but seriously, thank you to the people who sent uh, these in and, um, we really would like to lean in more towards the call in aspect of it too. So definitely we would really appreciate those coming into the inbox and thank you for making it to the end of the episode. Hope it was informative and took up a lot of useless space in your brain um (laughs) that's what we're here for (laughs) all right thanks for listening everybody thank you bye